Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. The man has arrived. The former governor of the great state of New Jersey, James E. McGreevy. Appreciate you being in studio. Michael, I really do. Great to be with you. Listen, I I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, so I have to uh, lay my clothes out a night in advance because if I'm rustling around in the closet, I wake my wife, the whole house. There's like a chain reaction. She gets up, the kids get up, the dogs get up. Get up. So I want you to know, I, I, this shirt, my etro, <laughs> metrosexual shirt, shirt is for you. Thank you very much. Because right. as I reached into the closet last night, I said, well, what, what do I wear for Jim McGreevy coming to town? And it's, this is, you know, this was the selection. I mean, but you're, you're looking like, a, you know, a, a plain, dull, conservative, a heterosexual exactly. uh, in the way you dressed. Only white and blue shirts. Right. You still That's haven't have. canned all that? No, this is the, you know, after years of acquiring white button-down shirts and blue shirts, I mean, that's all I have. I think on the Oprah interview, I watched when you opened your closet, not that closet, the real closet. <laughs> exactly. And there were all those blue and white shirts. I thought that was hysterical. I know, years of accumulation from parochial school habits. I have 
plenty of white shirts and boring blue shirts. But it works, though. Never before, and, and we've had so many great guests and so many authors and so many elected officials, but never before have I been schooled by my audience as to how I should treat a guest as I have been advised by my audience relative to you today. A lot of folks, you know, why are you even having them and so on and so forth? How are you going to treat them? They want to know. It's the same thing I said to you in the hallway. My, my approach relative to Jim McGreevy is one of uh, dignity and directness. I've got a number of questions on my mind, some things that I think Oprah uh, didn't go through, sure. but always in a respectful way. And I appreciate the opportunity to have the dialogue. And I think that's, you know, God willing, how everybody respects every other citizen with dignity and directness. I mean, that's what our strength is as a democracy. Are you tired of this process yet? No. I mean, sometimes, Michael, you know, it, it does get exhausting. It's actually an opportunity to, to be reflective. It's an opportunity to think about my life, also what I want to do in the future. It gives you a lot of time. Um, gives me time to think, gives me time to pray, gives me time to contemplate, and also see people out in the field. I mean, people are so good. They're so generous in their spirit. and They've treated you well. You haven't gotten a workout anywhere? Um, no. Well, you know, people, you know, I was on the, you know, on the radio show with Sean, and we go back and forth, but it's all, it's all good. And it, it's interesting because people bring to the book or people bring to the story what's in their own experience and how this – and it's interesting to see how that reflects against them. And Some, that's, what's, that's what's powerful a, for me. A friend of mine who's gay, so I guess now I get to use the line, some of my best friends are uh, <laughs> said to – I said, is Jim McGreevy you know, a hero of sorts in the community? And, and his reaction was, well, no, because he was under the gun, so to speak, yeah. and, and that's why he came out. So we don't look to him as a hero. I, I think that's very much right, and that's, that's what I think in terms of my own experience. It's I did it the wrong way. I did it how it shouldn't be done. I did it under duress. I would have never have done it. And I guess that's one of the, the central the central truths of the book is that, you know, we all have a choice in life, Michael, either to embrace fear or to react to fear or to embrace love. And I think that's as basic and as fundamental as the human experience gets. Why did you write this book? And it, that will sound like a Larry King layup to get things rolling, but it's yeah. not. I've got malice of forethought. I've got a sure. reason that I want to know the answer to that question. Why did you pen these words? Well, for the longest time, I didn't want to write the book because I couldn't necessarily make sense of the own experience. But it was interesting because so many people wrote to me. And they described how the bad decisions that I made, the errors of judgment that I went about, actually was a catalyst in an interesting way for them to seize their own truth, to live their own passion. And so if, if – um, and on the, on the sort of – on the trail and, and, and talking to people throughout uh, New Jersey and, and they're so generous – People have said that while I made all these bad decisions, at the end of the day, as one woman described, I disagreed with you know everything you did politically on stem cell research, on you know whatever. But I'm glad you found peace with yourself and your God. And despite these the horrible sort of journey to get there, it's interesting because it's it's that sort of ability to to reflect against my story, which has been so moving. 
on page 336 of the book, you see my copy here is all phoned I know. up. I'm impressed. And, uh, yeah. You actually read it thoroughly. Oh, yeah. Thorough. I, and, and, and enjoyed it. I mean, Thank I'm, you. I'm intrigued. I like New Jersey politics. They mystify me. Uh, <laughs> I was interested in, as in it the does whole, most people. you know, out of the closet story. But there's some troubling aspects of this book sure. as well. Then that's what I want to go into. You write and you say, my addiction is to being central in the world, to being accepted and adored in the way that celebrities are adored by strangers in abundance. That is what I loved about campaigning so much that I almost was never at home sacrificing my marriage and my family. I was pathologically attached to having a public. Yes. I'm reading the book and I'm saying this is still a guy who's pathologically attached to having a public because the most significant problem that I have with the book is the harm that I perceive it is still causing to your father, who seems like a hell of a guy, great guy, uh, and your your soon to be ex wife Dina. I mean, I, I've got to believe that you being on Oprah, you on a small scale being on the radio with me, and this other schedule that you're maintaining has just must be reopening and putting salt into all those wounds of those folks that you hurt. I think for for my family, they understand at last I've confronted my truth. And that I'm not reacting out of fear. And as you said in, in the beginning of the, of the show, it was done by virtue of coercion. It wasn't a real choice. And so in many ways, my, my family, while painful, they understand that there's the larger truth and you need to embrace that. And so I think we're in a good place. And that while it's difficult... Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's important to take that journey. And when I sort of came out in August 2004, Michael, people didn't understand how I got to that place. And so over this period of time, I now describe how how I got there and now how I'm putting my life back together uh, through recovery and trying to not only make sense of this journey, but to move beyond it. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous says... You're only as sick as your secrets. And so the goal of of the mission of the book is to say that you have to live your truth. You have to be true to your passion. You can't live out of fear. And while sometimes it's very painful, you have to be true to yourself. And I I respect being true to yourself, and I have no problem with you leading an alternative lifestyle. I wish you hadn't gotten married twice if, if that's the path on which you were going to travel. But, I mean, I got as far as the dedication page of the book for mom and dad, for my daughters. How's it pronounced? Morag? Morag. Morag and Jacqueline, who taught me unconditional love. And I, I, Governor, I stopped right there and I said, if he really had mom and dad's best interest and the best interest of the daughters at heart, leaving off the table, Dina, he would never have written this book because it's getting so much attention, understandably so. He's causing, he's perpetuating the pain that all those around him have felt. So you may get I, some uh, inner relief, but the people around you are, are being further tortured. I, I don't think so, and I don't think that's where they're at, Michael. I think if any good can come out of a colossal mess that people embrace with honesty and with passion their lives and their truth— you know, I received like thousands of letters from people, you know, straight, gay, all throughout, and you know, people who had secrets in their marriage and in their careers, and 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 they were able to to grapple with with their own truth. And so, I I think that my family understands uh, and is supportive of the need to 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 talk to people as to the importance 
of being who they are and being what they were meant to be. And if you can make any sense out of a mess and find a greater truth, that's a good thing. That some good would have come out of this. One option, though, was for Jim McGreevy with his profile to to go away for a while. You know, you, you met, you have a love interest in your life. You, you look good. You sound good. It's, it's, it seems as if emotionally you're on your feet. I was troubled by the fact that you just didn't go away for a while. Well, actually, I did. I mean, I, you know, since 2004, I mean, I, I, I have gone away. I mean, I, I think I've, I've worked on my spiritual life. I've worked at healing. Um, but I also realized that I made such bad decisions motivated out of fear and that lies happen a little bit at a time and they get worse and worse and worse and it spills over to other parts of your life. And then finally, at some point, you hit the brick wall. And if, if that message, if people understand the importance of living their own truth, embracing their own passion, and my mistakes and screw-ups... I mean, one woman wrote a great letter saying that her point was, I guess that if you could do it, namely me, after making these colossal mistakes, almost anybody could do it, no matter how painful. And it's getting past the fear and embracing what you love in life and being who God meant for you to be. And whether it's, it's who you are as gay or straight or your family relationships or what you mean to be doing in a job— it's living that truth with passion and not being afraid to embrace that reality. Well, let me say it one more way and then sure. I'll, I'll get off it. No. As I read the book, I said, I'm sure there's some catharsis here for Jim McGreevy, that this this emotionally is helping him to tell the story. And man, you told it in every lurid detail. You know, a lot of these kiss and tell books uh, are neither. Yours is the real deal. But I've, I was thinking to myself, as I was getting further and further into it, it's probably in Jim McGreevy's best interest to write this book for a whole host of reasons. I don't believe it's in the best interest of those in McGreevy's circle of trust. Well, I, I'm not sure it's, it's in my best interest. It's been so painful and, um, and, and difficult. But I think my family and my loved ones understand the importance of telling a, a message of embracing your own truth. And, and that, as I said, you know, you look at the circumstances and you look at everything that happened. And if people from can sit back at 800 yards and say, well, here's somebody who theoretically had it all. And as I said in the book, Michael, but the latter was leaning against the wrong wall. And people from, you know, from a distance may say, well, you know, he had, quote unquote, success. But I didn't because I wasn't grounded. I wasn't spiritual. You seem I wasn't tortured godly. to me. I mean, yeah. I, and I, I, want, I want to get into it. I'm thinking it about tortured. that Boy was... Scout overnight when you're 11 years old. Yeah, you know, I was crying on your behalf. It had to be horrible. This is Book Club with Michael Smirconish from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM, Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. You've been here 20 plus minutes. You're sufficiently warmed up. Can I hit you with the governor theory of same sex? Go ahead. I had a go-kart when I was a kid. My audience knows this because I've told the story. And on the go-kart, there was what we called a governor. My folks had sure. put this thing that would keep the pedal from fully depressing to limit my speed. All right? Yep. Women are a governor because guys are always looking for sex. Guys are always looking to hook up. 
take a woman out of the dynamic, have simply two guys there. There is no governor. And that's why there's such a level of promiscuity about which you write in the gay community. And I'm referring to the the bookstores and the rest stops and so on and so forth. And that whole scene in Washington when you were in law school at Georgetown. I think it's different. I think part of the problem, and that that may be part of the problem. I'll leave that to. Have to, you been asked this before in your no, whole book tour? Never. You've never been asked never. about the governor's I've theory never of had sex. The, I've never had the Michael governor's theory of sex. Good, well, and it's innovative. Let's hear it. I think what happens is, Michael, for me, and I can't speak to the world. I can only speak to my experience. Is that you think as a young kid, you can't. I, I couldn't be who I was. I was acting out of fear, whether I was reacting to what I thought the church wanted me to do, reacting to what I read. And so there's this thing called gay, and I thought it was horrible, and I thought it was awful. I thought it was evil and damnable, and, and this was the end. So I don't want to embrace it. I didn't want to take it on. I didn't want to be that awful thing because I thought I'd go to hell. I thought it'd bring shame on my family. So it's something that I said, I'm going to keep it away at 800 feet. I don't want this by me. And so you deny it, which is the first mistake. And then you start repressing it. You know, I, I, I work my backside off because I, I want to like girls in the sense of being emotionally and sexually attracted to them. And you go down this path further and further and further. And you try to make it work because, ironically, you think you're doing what's right when you're doing so much what's wrong and you're bringing damage to other people because you're not being who you are. And then you don't want to be seen as being gay. Because you buy these messages of shame, and I did, and I internalized, and I thought that this was something awful. So the only thing that I think is available to me is this anonymity. Because I don't want, I mean, what I want in my heart is a loving, committed, monogamous relationship like the rest of the world does. What do we all want in our life? We want professional success, and we want love. But you know what? God willing, I'll be the last generation in America that has to choose between professional success and love. I mean, it was either or. You couldn't be a governor and be gay. So you act out in these unhealthy, harmful ways because it's anonymous. When in your gut, in the pit of your stomach, what you want is what you have. A loving relationship and four kids and the dogs and the happiness and the holidays and all that good stuff. But But you can't have it being who you are. Are you telling me that it's because you're walking around sort of uh, uh, keeping this secret to yourself and when you have those rare opportunities for an exchange, all hell breaks loose and you're in a road stop or, or you're at that bookstore at Times Square. Yeah, you know, AA has a great expression. You're only as sick as your secrets. And Alcoholics Anonymous, a buddy of mine, has shared that with me. And, you know, you don't want what's at a rest stop, but that's the only thing you think you can have. What you want is the stability and the boring and worry about, you know, who's going to pay the bills and and picking up the newspaper and making sure, you know, the house is moving and life goes on. You want that boring quality of life, which is love and which is domestic happiness. The back jacket of your book says history books will all say that I resigned in disgrace. That misses the point entirely. Resigning was the single most important thing I've ever done. I'd rejected a political solution to my troubles and took the more painful route, penance and atonement, the way to grace. A subject I've got to cover with you, which Oprah did not address, probably because it's not high in the priority list of her audience, but it is on mine, is the notion of corruption. Isn't the reality that you resign because of corruption slash patronage, not because of the gay thing? Well, the corruption was is that I put somebody on the payroll 
that ought never have been on the payroll. And that was a, a profoundly bad, stupid decision, which I needed to own up to, which I needed to accept responsibility and pay the consequence. What if it had been a woman? I mean, you must have thought about this. What, what if all the facts were the same, except you, you had some woman on the side, you gave her that position, uh, it were a heterosexual relationship. Would a resignation have been necessary? Well, that's up to the individual. I mean, each I had to do, long last Michael, what I thought was right in my heart. I mean, after making all of these wrong decisions based out of fear and based out of denial, I had to finally step to the plate and look in my heart and do what I thought was the right thing to do. And I guess each person has to, God willing, make that judgment at whatever critical point in their lives. When we come back, I want to ask former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy, what was the job of Golan Sapel? Because I thought I knew, and I was relying in part on the interview that you did with the Bergen County Record. And I'm an avid reader. But I really didn't know until I read your book, and, and I want to lay that out because most of the people who have reached out for me have said, don't let Jim McGreevy off the hook without talking about him putting in place a man post-September 11 to run the New Jersey Department of Homeland Security or whatever the word choice may be, uh, and he did it because he was having a relationship. There's a little bit more to the story, but I want to, I want to ask you questions about that and lay it all out. All right. Sure. The soundbite is that you put him in charge of, of Homeland Security. He did did indeed have responsibilities in that regard. You got yourself into trouble because you do an interview with the Bergen County Record, right? Yep. Tell that story. What happened? Well, I was um, I was feeling invincible. I just gotten elected governor. I have a wonderful wife, daughter, and I have a lover on the payroll. And the first thing that I want to say, Michael, it was it was a it was a colossal mistake of gargantuan proportions. Period. I mean, it was stupid. And, and you know, just as a cliff note, you know, I think that, like, I'm the master of my universe now. I've, I've got it all under control. And so I say to the Bergen record, in a sense, I'm, I'm bragging on it. I say, well, I've got this Israeli on the payroll focusing in on homeland security. And then I talk about the budget. I talk about what we're doing in the state of New Jersey. And at the time, you know, the budget was out of whack and trying to bring it into line, et cetera. And I get through the interview and then all of a sudden the phone calls start coming in, you know, call after call after call. Well, who is this guy? What's his background? You know, should he be involved in Homeland Security? And it becomes sort of the beginning of the end because from those series of phone calls, they wanted to know who Golan Sapel was and what, what he was all about. And, the, and you know, the irony of, all, of it all was is that I was the one who was bragging on it to, to the Bergen record, which triggered it. Golan's role is he was um, counselor to the governor, so he was in the in the governor's office, and he he wanted a job, and I thought about different places to put him, and I put him in in the governor's office, which again I want to say clearly and and unequivocally it was stupid. You know, you you have to think objectively about your employees, and. He had functions regarding Homeland Security, but he was never a head of Homeland Security. In the state of New Jersey, as I assume like the state of Pennsylvania, um, the attorney general chairs something called the Domestic Security Task Force. And the state police is responsible for the daily implementation in terms of intelligence. In fact, I created something called the Office of Counterterrorism. I had a former prosecutor, and then I had a 20-year FBI, um, Sid Casperson, who worked for Jimmy Kallstrom in the, in the bureau and with New York, and they ran that office. You know, Golan was never in the Domestic Security Preparedness Task Force. Uh, he was never in the Office of Counterterrorism. 
but he was in the governor's office. He was your eyes and ears at a lot of meetings. Yeah, and, and it just, you know, again, I just can't say often enough how stupid and wrong it was, but he brought a different sense of sensibility um, to me. I, you know, sort of growing up in, you know, Middlesex County, New Jersey, I, I didn't think about security. I mean, my grandfather's a cop, my uncle's a cop, um, but you don't think about security. And, and he, after 9-11, he would say, you know, you don't get this. The world has changed dramatically. You have to make sure that New York cops can talk to New Jersey cops, that the Coast Guard can talk to the state police. He was obsessed with it um, because he understood, you know, that in Israel, it's like every day you battle that. I know. But here's here's what I was thinking again as I'm reading this. Yeah. You played on a stereotype in the following way. There was a Seinfeld episode I think it was Seinfeld, love the show, where the building super comes up in conversation and they say, well, you know, he used to be with the Mossad. And it's like this <laughs> this insider, you know, Upper East Side kind of a thing where everybody wants to believe that the supervisor of the building uh, who's Jewish used to be in the Mossad. Because then we all say, ooh, the Mossad, you know, exactly. those are some tough SOBs. Yep. When you went for that interview with the Bergen County Record, I think you played on the Seinfeld, he's in the Mossad kind of a thing. To like, Definitely. Okay. Definitely. So here's the issue. I mean, and 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 I, I have so many things for Jim McGreevy. I'm monopolizing your time to the detriment, I, I hope not, of my audience. Uh, but many of them I can look at the board who are calling and they are saying, this was your big mistake. Your big mistake is, this is not the case of, you know, putting a bimbo on the payroll in the typing pool. You entrusted this man with an awfully serious job post-September 11. In fact, I'll say it more directly. You sacrificed the safety of New Jersey residents for a guy with whom you were having an affair. What's the direct answer to that? I guess it's one of acknowledgement. Yeah, it's, it's one of acknowledgement and it's one of acceptance. But also in the book, I explain what his you know, responsibilities were. So, you know, the first point is, is that I made a terrible mistake putting someone that I was involved with, lover, on the payroll. But I, and, and, and it ends there. Accept responsibility for stupidity. Why on page 255 of the book do you say that there's a chance that Golan was not gay? What do you mean by that? You slept with him. Because I, I can't say, I can't say what another person is. But if you I mean, sleep with a guy, he's gay, right? Or is it more complicated than that? Well, clearly it was more complicated than, than that so for you're me. you're saying he could have been a switch hitter. Maybe he's, you know, he's got a I, lot going on. It, yeah, it could have been. I mean, I, it's, it's just, Michael, I don't want to be in the, in the position of judging another person's heart or another person's intentions or another person's sexuality. That's not the purpose of the book to say, right, he's gay and and everything that proceeds from that. I think the purpose of the book is to say that I was gay, I am gay, I was acting out of fear, I made a lot of bad, stupid decisions. And if any good comes out of it, it's understanding that you act from your own truth, embrace who you are and follow that passion, and also work to live an honest life and try to do the next right thing. And what happened with me was is inch by inch, year by year, I slipped further and further from living a, a sound spiritual life, whether it was motivated out of fear, 
motivated out of shame. And I wound up hitting the, a brick wall, making a colossally bad decision. Did you marry Dina for political purposes? No. No. I mean, I'm looking at that wedding picture down at yeah. the Hay Adams. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, you know, wh- where, where the wedding was, 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 you know, clearly the political. Great know, hotel. I know. Great hotel. But it just seems like the whole thing is scripted because you want to end up at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, I, I clearly wanted to end up at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I mean, that was that was a driving ambition. That was a driving force. I mean, that was very much there. But I also was so afraid of being who I was. I mean, there, there was a time, I guess, there was one time, Michael, in, in 1997 when I lost to Governor Whitman. And I went up to see my daughter in uh, Vancouver for my first wife. And I'm walking and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm you know, reflecting that this is the last chance to to be who i am and i just couldn't get past you know where i was in my head as an 11 12 13 years old you know with people saying you know faggot homo queer i just couldn't get past that divide and you know and i know you have a lot of conservative listeners and i have friends of mine that are republican gay all that you know on on that part because I, i think the book speaks to a larger message of being who we are and, and living, as Thoreau said, not dying with the music inside of us. But I would just, you know, for me, it was never a choice. Was your, uh, you use the word conservative, were your early conservative leanings, and that'll take people's breath away to know that you were a, you were a Nixonian. Yes. Uh, was that to cover up your gayness? Because the part of the book that didn't pass my smell test yeah. was when you say that you finally come over to the D's because of what's going on in El Salvador. I mean, come on. But it, it was part one of the you know you look at different ways of of passing you look at different ways of of so that Michael doesn't think or your buddy in, in the classroom doesn't think that you're gay and and I went to an all boys Catholic high school I mean the last thing you want to do is be gay so part of it is you, I found it easy to hold on to certain orthodoxies I found it easy to be a peer that you know. You want to be as far away as something called gay as something called homosexual as possible. So you want to be to the right of everything. Wiring versus environment. It's the wiring. It's the wiring. It's the wiring. It's the wiring. Point. I mean, it's over. It's just not even worth having that debate. I, I, you know, I mean, a buddy that I grew up with uh, who unfortunately we we lost to AIDS. I, you know, you knew growing up and we were all in the same environment. We played street hockey together. The hell of a guy. Yep. Uh, but I look at that that one sort of microcosm in my own world. It's it's the wiring. Why do people still want to fight that battle? I don't know. It may, maybe it's because they don't understand. You know, I knew when I was six years old, I, I just knew I was different. And by the time I was 11 and 12, I mean, I'm like, something's going on here. Right. I look at the images of my parents. I look at the images uh, on television and books. Like, how come I can't be like this? And then you like you try to will it. But it's wiring. And listen, people, you know, people can give you a workout for a whole host of things, all of which you reveal in the book. No one who reads this book with an open mind, wishing to at least give you the benefit of some doubts, can come away anything but pained. Yeah. When you're 11 years old and you're proud to be a Boy Scout, and you got to go on that overnight trip. Man, that is some brutal, brutal stuff that I don't wish upon anybody's children. i got to take a time out. Let me tell you something, Governor. When we come back, let us deal with whatever it is that went on down in Cape May. 
Sure. Because I have been on the air for a number of years now. I'm a 15-year overnight sensation. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're doing uh, pretty well. And uh, forever, I've been yeah. getting emails about you and what really went on when you broke your leg and got that rod and all, all that. Yes. And you know what I'm talking about. Yep. So let's let's deal with that head okay. on. All right. It's quarter of nine. Governor McGreevy's in the house. I'm glad to have him here. And we'll get to that urban legend, if it is an urban legend, momentarily. This is Book Club with Michael Smirconish from Sirius XM. Jim McGreevy's in the studio with me. I really appreciate you coming in here because I know, hey. you know, I, I'm, I'm asking you the, the, the tough stuff. Uh, and I'm glad that you're here and no, willing thanks, to answer Michael. it all. There was a newscaster in Philadelphia by now dozen plus years ago who was the subject of a god-awful urban legend. It involved gerbils. It's as much as I'm saying. And the the sickness of it is that it was an urban legend that was attached to different personalities all across the country. It could have been me, I guess. You know, oh, yeah, he's that radio guy. Did you hear about his ER visit over at Lankanar or downtown at Jefferson? And so I came on the air and, and dealt with this head on one day. And I'll never forget this, where a woman called up and she said, no, my brother's sister's cousin was in the ER the night they brought him in. Not you, this this other yeah, guy. I'm sure she believed it, too. And then and then. Four people, I could play you the tape, but I won't, because we saved it. It was such a remarkable moment. Four people called, all maintaining that they had a connection to a hospital where this newscaster had to be treated for, for this yeah. position in which he found himself. reason I bring that up to you is that as long as I've been doing talk radio, I have been getting emails and phone calls about you and whatever the hell happened in Cape May where you were injured. What happened? It was really, it's, it's, it's an incredibly boring story. It, I was... Um... My wife and I were just out for a walk, and it was winter, and sort of naive of me, but I always thought, you know, the way the shore was, it was always sort of gradually tapered. I mean, you know, I'm born in Jersey City in Carteret. I never sort of thought about the fact that there are the guys that come out with the machines and sort of grade the sand all the time back and forth. And we were staying at this great little um, bed and breakfast place, and I went out for a walk and just sort of running around and, and just sort of it was romantic. It was nice. It was just I got away, and... I was walking along the edge of the beach, and it was, I guess, in February, and there was a four-foot grade separation because, you know, the guy with the, the machine that makes the beach flat, you know, it was February. There aren't too many people on the beach. And I went off. I put my my leg down, and I just tripped, and I broke my femur. And, um, you know, Dina was great. I mean, the water's lapping up. It's She's with up. you. She's with me. The water's coming up. And um, call cell phone. Uh, borrow a cell phone and just sort of dial. And Whose phone? Dina's phone. So you, the call gets logged from her phone. Yeah. And then it goes into, and it's all like recorded because now they have 911. Sure. Everything's recorded. And I just said, you know, hi, this is McGreevy. I'm on the beach. I'm about a mile and a half down. I tell them where I'm at. I said, I think my phone, I think my leg is broken and, you know, whatever. And it was just sort of funny afterwards because somebody said, well, you could tell, you know, you were so calm. You could tell your dad was a DI. I said, no, it was the, my mother was a nurse. And, you know, I just described it. But, I mean, coming out of and, – and that's what happened. I mean, and, Was Golan Sapel anywhere around? No. Any other no, guy anywhere no, around? No, no one was there. It was and just I, Dina and I in, in, the, in the middle and of And I'm sure you have May. no idea. Like, how does this begin? How does – I could right now fill the phone lines. I'm not. With people who think they know a little something about this and that there was some sex act on the beach and some craziness. No, it was incredibly boring and dull. And, and it was my, you know, not knowing that the beach wasn't graded and, and went off and and that's it. Why is New Jersey so rife with corruption? 
I, I mean, it's it, it's remarkable to me the the uh, the non sexual, the political aspects of this book. How many guys get jammed up, and we have yeah. plenty of them over on our side of the river as well. And and you know, one story that brought this out, page seventy seven. You talk about how. Listen to this. Uh, Governor McGreevy says, I sent a letter to the Middlesex County prosecutor outlining my credentials and asking for a job fighting crime. After seven years of higher education, I thought I'd amassed a pretty impressive resume. Catholic University, Columbia College, Georgetown, Notre Dame Law School at the London School of Economics and Harvard, plus stints at the Justice Department. Nobody returns your call or your resume, and it's well, you tell the story, but do it quickly. So how do you finally get an interview? <laughs> my my dad has a has a had a friend, um, and he saw him at, at Sunday Mass. It was a Church. local elected official, and he says, oh, tell Jim to send his re- give me his resume, send the resume in, and I get an interview like within the week. We're not interested in Harvard, uh, yeah, Notre but, Dame. Yeah. I mean, but, but, but in church, if somebody in Mass says, Jimmy's a good guy, okay, the call gets made. Well, I, I think one of, the, one of the real problems, Michael, and is the whole money game, and it's 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 gotten so expensive. My second race, I raised $41 million. That's sick. It's sick. And the, the concern that I have is that this shouldn't just be a game for the wealthy because, I mean, part of America's strength is that everybody should be able. But part of the problem is, is the money chase, and final, you have to do it every single hour. Final question. Why do you owe... Golan Sapel an apology. What, what's this? Uh, you want to apologize to him at the end of the book for what? You got to you got to let go of your resentments. You got to try. I've got to let go of my resentments. Try to do the right thing. I should have never put him on the payroll. It had a horrible impact on his life. But he blackmailed you. Your whole story is that he blackmailed you. He should be apologizing to you. But at the essence of the book, Michael. It's about me trying to do what's right. Me trying to be who I am, accept my truth, and do what's right by God and my conscience at long last. It's a hell of a way to get there. Book is called The Confession, former governor of New Jersey, James E. McGreevy. Thanks so much for Michael, being here. I'm very be appreciative. With you. Thank you. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.